now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl. Insider Radio, I am MC Money, joined by Sutton, the fortune teller, and Houts MD. And we are here tonight. We have a great show in store for you. We're going to be joined in just a few minutes by former NFL quarterback Dan Orvlosky. We're going to break down the latest regarding Jarvis Landry and also discuss a little bit all the smoke regarding Ryan Tannehill. But let's jump right into it right now. And joining us here now on Finsider Radio is Dan Orlowski, former NFL quarterback, been in the NFL for from 2005 to 2017, had a... Uh, you know, good career, solid career throughout the NFL, serving as back quarterback for the Lions, Texans, Colts, Buccaneers, back with the Lions, and then a short stint with the Los Angeles Rams. Dan, before we get into it, I just want to take you back to your senior year at Shelton High School State uh, playoff game playing New Britain. And I was a freshman at New Britain High School at that time. I remember all the talk about our team going up to play you and Shelton, and you're headed to UConn. I went up to the game, and you kind of picked our defense apart a little bit. You only won by two points, though. Uh, we, we couldn't convert that two-point conversion at the end. But, uh, you know, I go way back, you know, following you, your high school, and then going up to UConn and then the NFL. So it's good to have you here on the show tonight. Oh, it's good to be here. That was a good, good game, fun game. New Britain's always had some good, talented teams. And I remember Justice Harrison on that team that you guys had. Yep. Really, really good player. So always, always fun playing against you guys. Absolutely. It was, it was a good, it was a good game. It was a good game. Then you went on, of course, to win a state championship that year. So you were offered uh, scholarships from Purdue and Michigan state, but you chose to go to the university of Connecticut with Randy Etzel. Can you just take us into that background a little bit? Why you chose UConn over, you know, a powerhouse such as Michigan state or Purdue where Drew Brees came from? Yeah. You know, UConn had started, UConn and coach Randy Etzel started recruiting me really early and they were the first team that really started recruiting me. And, you know, when that started, I really didn't pay much attention to them or put much mind to them because I had, you know, bigger, bigger dreams, if you want to call them bigger goals. And so it was flattering at the time, but I, I really wanted to go play in the big 10 and long story short, fast forward the recruiting process and, you know, UConn is staying on me, but, my mind is still focused on the Big Ten, so I commit to Big Ten. Uh, I commit to Michigan State. I'm I'm going to Michigan State. A couple of games into my junior year of high school, Jeff Smoker, who was a true freshman at Michigan State, starts to play, and he's lighting it up. You know, he's playing really well. And I, uh, you know, I wanted to play early, and so I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm not going to go to Michigan State if this kid's a true freshman. He's going to I'm going to have to sit for two or three years, and so you know, end up decommitting from there and going on a visit to Purdue and fall in love with Purdue. Drew Brees is my host on my visit. I get to go watch him throw. It's a fun time. I'm about to call. It's a Monday, and I'm about to call Purdue to commit to them, and word breaks that a guy named Kyle Orton commits to Purdue. Who was, Kyle was like the second or third-ranked quarterback in my class coming out of high school. 
well, I'm not going to go there if that guy's going there. And so then I go on a visit to the University of Virginia, fall in love with it. Matt Schaub, who's a good friend of mine still nowadays and is still playing in the NFL, is a host of mine. Fall in love with it, wake up that morning to go meet with the head coach, and he keeps calling me Matt. He's not calling me Dan. So land on my uh, from my airplane, and I call my dad, and I go, Dad, I'm going to commit to UConn. And my dad hangs up the phone on me. And oh, long story short, <laughs> yeah, I got home. You know, I I got home. I called Coach Etzel. Hey, Coach, I'm going to commit. You know, it's all great. My dad didn't talk to me for weeks because he thought I was selling myself short. But really, you know, I think there was a part of me who always wanted to go to UConn because of, you know, the challenge to try and go do something that everyone thought was really impossible, to go be the first, to go be the the big fish in the small pond. And, uh, you know, it turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made and, and kind of truly impacted who I am and the player I was. During your time at UConn, Dan, you threw for 10,706 yards, 84 touchdowns, leading UConn to a 17-7 and record in your final two seasons of birth in the Motor City Bowl in 2004. And then, of course, that led you to being drafted by the Detroit Lions in the fifth round in the 2005 draft. You've had a uh, good career, a long career by NFL standards. You've been a backup throughout your uh, NFL career, never really got that chance to be the full-time starter per se. What can you just take us through a little bit of what a backup quarterback's job is and how important they are to a team this year in the NFL? We saw tons of backups take the reins and lead their teams to success. Case Keenum, Nick Foles, for example. Um, a lot of people sometimes overlook the backup quarterback position. Just kind of take us a little bit into what their role actually is throughout the week and on game day as well. Yeah, you know, I think the role, you know, sometimes changes with the team that you're in, you know, and, and, some backups need to be more ready to play than others. Some backups need to be more impactful to their starter than others. Some backup needs to be a little bit more of a coach than others. So it, it really depends on, you know, the fit and the room and the team you're on. You know, for me, early on in my career, it was a learning experience. I was learning. As a backup, I just wanted to learn. And you just you go to practice every day with the mindset of, I've got to go and treat this like a game and I've got to go get better and I've got to study to prepare to play. And so you're, you're truly just focused on as a young kid, just preparing to play because you know, that's where you are because you know, that opportunity at some point is going to present itself and you want to be ready. And then as my career goes on and I get a little older and you're, when you're young, you're focused on trying to become a starter. You want to, you want to have the chance to start in the NFL. That's the dream. That's why you work. And then as I got a little bit older, it's not you get um, complacent, but you have to get content and understanding of your role. And your role is the backup. You know, you morph and you realize, okay, well, there's 53 guys on this team. And I'm here, yes, to to be ready and to go play at any time. But if I don't play, I'm wasting my roster spot. And this team is wasting, wasting my roster spot. And eventually, I'm going to get weeded out for that. And so you have to find other ways to impact your football team. And so how much can you truly help the starter get ready by game preparation, by film preparation, by knowledge of the defense, of the defensive coordinator, the nickelback? How much can you truly help him? And then as I get older, you settle into your role and you have to be comfortable in your role. And, you know, I think one of the greatest strengths for backups is for their starter to – respect them and to know that that backup has his back. And then, a continue, like I said, it continues to grow. How much can you help the number three receiver on your team? Can you help the nickel back on your team know the other quarterback a little bit more as you accrue all this knowledge throughout your career? So, 
you know, but at the same time, be ready to play, you know, because at the end of the day, that's the most paramount thing in, in the eyes of a general manager or head coach is if, if this guy needs to play, can we win? So you have to, you have to have, be great at managing a bunch of different things and, and juggling a bunch of different things and impacting other than just game days. Certainly a lot goes into the backup quarterback position. Uh, a lot of people overlook it like we just stated and like you just explained, certainly. But I toss it over now to Sutton, my co-host. Sutton, go ahead. Dan, thanks a lot for spending some time with us. And for anybody looking for an interesting fact at home, Dan and I have seven boys between us. So we're going to go mm. ahead and get right to our question. I just want your general thoughts on Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback coming back from that injury. How do you see him as an NFL quarterback? Where do you see him ranking amongst his peers? And what would you do if you're in that Miami Dolphins front office? How are you approaching the Miami Dolphins quarterback situation going forward? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest with you. I've liked Tannehill since he came out of school. I remember him coming out of A&M and, and going into the draft and just watching guys and going, I, I think this guy's got a chance to be a pretty good player. And I think he's shown – glimpses of being a good player and so you know I, I still think of that him in those regards of still where would I rank him you know it's it's the rankings are sometimes you know tricky because you know I, I think there's you know three or four guys that are you know kinds of the kings of the castle and then the rest of the guys there's a top 10 or top 12 but that top 10 or 12 fluctuates a little bit because of who's around those guys, talent, talent at the skill positions, their offensive lines, their play callers. You know, you can go from the sixth, seventh, eighth best quarterback in the league to the 13th or 14th in one year. It just depends on, you know, who's around you talent-wise. So that's just part of it. So, you know, I, I, I think he's in the top, you know, um, top two-thirds of starting quarterbacks in the NFL, probably closer to the, you know, top half. And so – you know, I think that Miami's in a good place for him with, you know, with him as long as, you know, he can come back and be healthy. I know that's a big if, but if he can come back from that knee injury and, and be healthy, he's proven to play well at times. You know, I, I, if, if I'm them, I would do everything I can to keep a guy like Jarvis Landry because he, he makes your football team better. And I don't, I don't necessarily know all the inner workings of why there's interest in getting rid of him or trading him. But I, I definitely think that investment in the quarterback position for them is an important thing moving forward because as a general manager, you not only need to, you know, have a short-term vision of, of how can I get my team better and how can I help Ryan Tannehill, but also how can I be better in five years. And so Matt Moore is probably going to move on, although he's done a good job there. So is there a guy that I truly like? And my thing is this, you know, teams always go, oh, you know, we like this guy, but it's too early for us to pick him. I never understood that thinking because if he makes your football team better now and he makes your football team better in five years, you take them. And so if there's a guy mm-hmm. that they like in the second round, it's worth your investment because you don't – Tannehill is still – he's still a gray area with health and performance. And so, you know, I, I would imagine – you know, I know Adam Gase. I, Adam Gase was a coach of mine, so I, I know how important the quarterback position is to him. I would imagine that they're going to go and invest something earlier than I know they've taken, you know, a guy in the seventh round here recently, uh, you know, the last draft or two, I would imagine that they'll invest something in the quarterback position a little bit sooner than that. 
I wouldn't be blown away if it was as early as the second round because I think if there's a guy that you value there and a guy that you like there, it's worth taking the taking that pick and investing in it because, like I said, there's gray area in twofold with Tannehill. Saying you know, saying that I do like Tannehill and I do think that if you can continue to build around him and put parts around him, he's he's a good starting NFL quarterback. We're here joined by Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback from 2005 to 2017. Dan, we're just kind of talking about prospects through your speech about Tannehill right there. You mentioned on your Twitter feed, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, all those guys, Baker Mayfield. I'm going to turn it over now to Houts for some questions about the combine and some prospects. Dan Houts here. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you taking time for out sure. today. Uh, my question re- for you regarding this class is uh, there's a lot of polarizing prospects this year. you got Lamar Jackson, who's some believe it or not, thinks should transition to wide receiver. You got a guy like Josh Rosen or some question whether or not his heart's in the game. What do you look for when evaluating this year's class, and who are some of those prospects that stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things to look for. I think if you're just going to talk the physical aspect of the position. So are you a natural thrower of the football? That's a big deal to me. Do you throw the ball naturally? And what I mean by that is I can watch you throw a football, and most humans can watch another human throw a football and go, oh, that looks normal. That looks natural. It doesn't look like it hurts or it's painful or it's rigid or you, you're fighting something. You know, it's, you're a natural thrower of the ball. That ball, is, there's a, a natural motion from, you know, that when you start to throw through the whole thing. So that's a part of it for me. You know, do you have the, the look, you know, physically of a guy who plays the position when, when you're moving around? Uh, do you have the arm strength? Yeah, that's part of it. But arm strength's overblown deal to me. You know, people talk, hey, Josh Allen can throw the ball a mile. Well, the football field's 100 yards, so I don't care if you can throw it a mile. You know, uh, can you do you have NFL accuracy? And there's a difference between accuracy and NFL accuracy. You know, do you put the ball on the left shoulder instead of the right shoulder? Do you throw the ball out in front instead of at somebody's chest? You know, down in the red zone, do you throw the ball face mask or higher? And so accuracy is a big deal anticipation do you understand windows a big thing for me is can you judge speed and angles that your receivers are running at because every receiver runs at a different angle and different speeds and you have to be able to have your eyes you know be able to judge those things you know can you play within the pocket and can you feel the rush instead of you know adjusting from the rush you know and then that's the physical things and there's a lot more that goes into it obviously but that that's the physical stuff that stands out to me. And then there's the, you know, if you can't lead, if you can't do the little things, you'll never be able to do the big things. And so if you can't, you know, lead, because leadership to me is a little thing and it results in big things. So if you can't lead yourself, you certainly can't lead my football team. And so how do you handle yourself? Can you, you know, like it, it sounds silly, but like, do you, do you have somebody who does everything for you? Are you able to go on the internet and book your own flight? You know, can you handle making dinner reservations? And again, that sounds silly, but if you can't lead yourself, you can't lead my football team. And so, you know, I'm, I'm paying you a ton of money to go be the, you know, the NFL is, they're, they're, they're the Forbes 32. Instead of the Forbes 500, they're the Forbes 32, the fortune 500 or the fortune 32. And so I need a CEO. I need a guy who, is is going to make everybody better and take me on the right track and that's that's the the business way of putting it and so i need a guy who can run his own life before i can trust him to lead my football team so that's 
a big deal to me is the leadership aspect of it, the competitiveness aspect of it. You know, can you intellectually handle football? Because I've been around guys, and I was a guy like this a little bit, who I could crush the meeting room. I could hammer the meeting room. And then can you go be functional on the field? You know, I was – if I was – as good as I was in the meeting room, I would have eventually been a starter and made a ton of money, but I wasn't able to function as I did, as good as I did in the meeting room as I would on the field. And so I need to find a guy who can function on the field like he functions in the meeting room. And so, you know, those are some of the things that I look for. Like I said, there's so much more to it, but those are the, some of the things that as a quarterback you need to be able to do for me to certainly invest, you know, ton of money in a high pick. And like I said, I'm, you're the CEO of my company and, and for my company to be successful, I need you to be a stud. Great points. We've seen plenty of times where the player is drafted, great talent on the field, but just doesn't cut in the meeting room and vice versa as well. So, you know, very excellent points there. Dan, I have one more question for you, but before I do that, I do need to ask you this one question. Uh, when you ran out of the end zone, I'm sorry, I got to do this uh, back in 2008, I believe. You running out of the back of the end zone, I know a lot of people talk to you about that. I know you can laugh about it now because it's in the past, but, you know, what were your thoughts when that happened? <laughs> Pre or post-play? Um, <laughs> I don't know. You tell you me. Know, you know, we, we called the play. It was my first start. It's early on in the game. I think it was like the second or third series of the game. We called the play. It's a one-man route for Calvin Johnson. I don't like to play timeout. Hey, coach, I don't like this. Can we do something different? I've you know, I would love to have an option to get the ball out of my hands. No, we're going to stick with the play. So we stick with the play. We double-team Jared Allen. You know, I think, you know, as I look back on it now, you know, as a quarterback, when you're in the shotgun or when you feel pressure, there's really only two things you do. You either climb the pocket because it's coming from the outside or you move horizontally with some depth away from that rush. Well, I moved horizontally away from the rush with some depth, and I had never been really been – in the shotgun had having take a, taken a snap five yards in the end zone. And, you know, before I know it, you know, I'm obviously out of the end zone. And it was just one of those things where I had never even thought about, okay, if I'm, I had been in so many meetings where a coach would take a punter and go, okay, when we're backed up and we have to punt, you're going to walk to the back of the end line, take one giant step forward and catch the punt, the snap and punt it and know that you cannot take a step back. You cannot. And so, I had never been through that experience of, okay, if I catch this snap, I got to be a little bit more aware that I can't, I can't get back as far as I usually do from the rush. And so, you know, play happens. And I just remember getting to the sidelines and, you know, obviously me thinking to myself, man, that was stupid. And I have no idea how that happened. And just looking at, I remember Roy Williams, the receiver and Calvin looking at me and just laughing, you know, just laughing at me, (laughs) trying to hold their back, their laughter, but laughing at me and, you know, I had a guy, Jared DeVries, a veteran of ours, a defensive lineman, really, really good dude, kind of just put his arm around me. He was like, hey, man, don't sweat it. Just keep go playing. And that was impactful for me because as a young kid, I was just like, whoa. And, you know, for him to have, be that veteran presence to tell me to keep going. We we almost won that game, obviously. And, and uh, you know, I laugh about it now because it, it's a stupid play. And I can, I can laugh yeah. about it. It helps that I played for almost a decade later. But I'm – it was just, it was stupid. It was, it's funny. It's a blooper, no doubt. <laughs> All right, Dan, one more question for you. And again, thank you for joining us, spending so much time with us. In your thoughts, who was the best quarterback coming into this year's draft? You know, I, I think Sam Darnold, you know, I like Rosen. I do. I think Rosen's the most NFL accurate guy. And there's a lot of parts of his game that I love, but 
I say Sam Darnold, and this is my reason. You know, Sam Darnold has got this magical sloppiness to him is what I call it. And what I mean by that is, you know, he's a morphing of Ben Roethlisberger and Tony Romo to me where everything Sam Darnold does is sloppy. Whether it's good or bad, it's sloppy. And sometimes it is flat-out magical. And I don't think that's something that you can coach. I don't care how much you drill it. He's got the ability to just have this innate ability to have this 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 magic to him where he can see windows and judge judge angles and speeds and like I previously said that's a big deal to me and I I think that he's got that stuff in him that is not coached that you are just born with and then it it develops over reps it develops over time and so you know that's what I love about him the most and I think that's such a unique unique talent that you can't drill it and you can't go and perfect it it's just something that you have and so for you know I I think it's super important that he goes to a place that does have a really good good quarterback coach that can take some of that sloppiness that like I said does result in bad and just refine it because the more you can refine it because you want him to be him you want that magical sloppiness because it truly what I think makes him potentially really good to great but you want to refine it so you minimize that bad that does happen because of it. I like Darnold the best, but like I said, I think Josh Rosen's game is custom-made for the NFL. And Sam Darnold, rumored to be going to the Cleveland Browns at number one. Dan Orlovsky, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us here. No, I appreciate you guys having me. All right, man. Take care. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, a lot to unpack there from Dan's interview. If you want to follow Dan on Twitter, at DanOrlowski7, O-R-L-O-V-S-K-Y-7. Tons of information on his Twitter page and tons of information in that interview. House inside, your initial thoughts. We'll start with you, House. Yeah, man, to hear him talk about what he sees in quarterbacks and kind of what it takes to be one of the elite players or starters in this NFL, that, that was just awesome to hear. I love the term magical sloppiness. That's one we'll have it's to remember true, for it a future podcast. If you look at Sam Darnold, right, and you just look at him play, look at him stand on the sideline, it's, his whole makeup, it's like sloppy, right? But he gets the job done. <laughs> I, I thought there were two other really interesting things that stood out to me. A, he said that we should keep Jarvis Landry. I thought that was interesting coming from a quarterback perspective that you, you just don't want to lose weapons no matter how no matter how you get them. You want to keep them as long as you can. And kind of along the same lines when he was talking about Tannehill's ranking, when he's talking about, you know, the, there's the three or four top dogs and then everybody else, it's really dependent on, on the team around them. So uh, he seems to like Tannehill, but also acknowledges that it's really important to have a good team around them. It's a crazy concept, isn't it? Well, we talk about it all the time, right? And it is true, but then, uh, I don't know, we're going to have another episode on Ryan Tannehill and the quarterbacks because there's so much smoke on it. We're not going to do that tonight. We're already 20, 25 minutes in or so. So we're going to do that. But you're right. I mean, it is all about the team. Um, You know, people look at, Josh Allen and Josh Rosen and they look at their stats and, and everything else and they say, well, they didn't get the, really the job done, but then they're blaming everyone else around them. And then you got other people saying, well, if the quarterback is so good, he should make everyone else around them better. And you always had that debate right there going in between those two. 
Um, but yeah, we're going to have a whole other show on that. We're going to bring out some guests, uh, quarterback gurus. Maybe we'll get Dan back on again and have an exclusive quarterback chat about Ryan Tannehill. So we will get back to, you know, unpacking Ryan Tannehill, Baker Mayfield, who the Dolphins have a lot of interest in. Of course, we got the question of, from Dan about running out of the end zone, took it like a champ. Surprised he didn't hang up on me at that point. He thought he was just, I was just waiting for that click on a line there. But let's go back to what he was talking about in terms of, you know, the backup quarterback position. Because Adam Gase at his combine press conference said on Wednesday, he said that if they can have two quarterbacks who can be ready to go, that would be their ideal preference. And like I just mentioned, we've heard a ton of smoke around Baker Mayfield. We've heard some smoke around Josh Rosen. We've heard smoke around the Dolphins being interested in Teddy Bridgewater. So for me, you know, I think the Dolphins are definitely looking to get that backup quarterback. And Orlowski was a backup quarterback throughout his entire NFL career. Never was a starter full-time for, for more than a few games. So when you look at the current options that are out there, one, the Dolphins can draft a quarterback in the first two days and be that number two guy behind Tannehill. Two, they can go out in free agency and sign Teddy Bridgewater, which, by the way, does not eliminate the need or the want for the Dolphins to draft a quarterback early because there are rumors that the Dolphins may trade Ryan Tannehill to the Denver Broncos, reported by Ben Albright off Twitter the other day said that there may be a scenario where the Dolphins trade Tannehill to the Broncos and move up to number five to draft Baker Mayfield. Or the Dolphins can just sign a veteran free agent, and there aren't many out there besides Bridgewater who can beat Tannehill's guy. Like Dan said, Matt Moore is moving on. So for you, how, what would you like to see the Dolphins do for their backup quarterback position, knowing the importance of it after hearing the explanation from Dan? Yeah, I think we saw last year the importance of what a backup quarterback is. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater sounds awesome, but I'm not really sure how much money he's going to be asking for on the open market. And, again, there's some injury concerns there, which run in line with what Tannehill's been through. For me, I still want to draft a quarterback. I hope that this team can fix their obvious needs in free agency. I know they don't have much money, but ultimately for me, I hope whether it's at 11 or they move up, they get a guy like we've both said throughout this entire process Baker Mayfield he's probably my number one one this entire offseason if Miami could somehow come away with Baker Mayfield I'd be ecstatic and then after that it'd be Lamar Jackson I hear the Josh Rosen I know he's the most NFL ready I heard about that Tannehill rumor Uh, that's still up in the air for me though I I want that young rookie quarterback that you know maybe not this year or even next but once Tannehill moves on and the Dolphins move forward he's the guy and you never know maybe we get that big uh, King's ransom like the Chiefs did with Alex Smith. So there's always different scenarios. But for me, I'd like to see this team draft a quarterback at 11 or trade up if they have to. So, and how about you? What is your approach to this? Well, when you're thinking about what Dan was saying about backup quarterbacks and something that I didn't really consider before talking to him tonight was backup quarterbacks have to be, they have to play a different role depending on what team they're on. So when you look at the Dolphins, what, kind of backup quarterback would we be in the market for and frankly it looks like we're the market for us is the young guy we don't need the coach backup quarterback to come in and mentor a younger guy so we don't need that kind of person we don't need a rah-rah motivational guy to come in either I think Ryan Tannehill is going to be stoic no matter who is around him so Tannehill is going to be Tannehill so I really think and something that Houts has pointed out on Twitter is 
bringing a young guy is going to come in and hopefully bring out the best in Ryan Tannehill from a competition standpoint. So you can look at bringing in a young backup quarterback to be the best solution for the Miami Dolphins. The only thing that gives me hesitation is I think there's just so many holes elsewhere. Uh, I, I think the Dolphins are capitalizing on the fact that quarterback is such a desperate need for a lot of teams that they're kind of creating a, you know, they're, they're going with the flow in terms of a smoke screen. Yeah. It's kind of natural to think that we might go for a quarterback and so be it. And, and if we go quarterback, we're doing our due diligence, but on the flip side, if we're not thinking about doing quarterback in the first round, we're going to a different position. We're still going to go with that quarterback talk to generate possible trade partners to get up to 11 and, and maybe snag someone like, uh, Sam Darnold or Rose, and maybe they start to slip for whatever reason. Maybe someone is enamored with Lamar Jackson and wants to take them at 11. It creates natural trade partners by going with the quarterback talk. So I, I don't think we're going to be able to to figure out what the Dolphins' true intentions are until we get closer to draft day. And you guys know, and everyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I am a huge fan of Baker Mayfield. If the Dolphins can draft him, stay with Tannehill for one year, trade him after this year or cut him, then I think that's the best direction the Dolphins can go in. Now, if the Dolphins decide to go for someone else, such as Josh Rosen or Josh Allen, I'm not a huge fan of Josh Allen. I don't think he played against great competition in his conference, so I'd be a little wary of that, although you can say the same thing about Carson Wentz, where he played. But, you know, Josh Rosen would do it for me. Sam, uh, not Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield would do it for me. I'm weary of Sam Darnold, even though Dan just said that he thinks he's one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the draft, he just doesn't do it for me. Uh, Lamar Jackson is another guy who would do it for me. So for me, I'm looking at Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson in that order. If they go out and sign Teddy Bridgewater, I'd be okay with that only if they then turn around and trade Tannehill in the draft to move up to draft one of those other guys. Uh, For me, if you're going to sign Teddy Bridgewater, it's a little risky to have two guys with knee injuries on that roster. And I just think that, you know, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson can be one of those guys who becomes elite and leads a team deep into the playoffs and possibly a Super Bowl. It's, it's a whole, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And next week we will have our free agent preview as the new league year begins on March 14th. We'll talk about possible free agents for Miami where they might be headed One player we don't know for sure about right now is Jarvis Landry, and that's how we're going to wrap up the show this week here on Finsider Radio. Not a whole lot going on in the lands of the Dolphins' world, but the Dock has been dominated around quarterbacks and Jarvis Landry. And the Dolphins and Landry's agent met at the Combine on Wednesday evening. Josina Anderson of ESPN saying the meeting went extremely well. No one knows what that means. What we do know is that the Dolphins probably are not going to have Landry long-term. They may have him this season, but after this season, he's probably gone, if not before. Houts, I know you're a huge fan of Jarvis Landry. Sutton, I know you like Jarvis Landry. I like Jarvis Landry. I'm at the point, though, where for me, if the Dolphins do take him back, I'd be thrilled. If not, I'd be a little upset, but I would get over it and trust the Dolphins, even though they've given us no reason to trust them over the past few years. I guess I'm just a blind fan sometimes. So for you, Houts, since you're one of the biggest Jarvis Landry fans out there, your whole take on this situation right now, we know the money he's asking for. Are you okay paying that? 
Yeah, that's where it gets dicey for me. I mean, I, I love Jarvis Landry, like you said. I think it's going to be hard to get that same kind of production out of any receiver, whether it be draft or free agency. But what is he exactly asking? Is it the 14 and a half? Is it even more than that? I know he's making 16 if he signs a franchise tag. That, to me, is the biggest difference. I mean, somewhere in that 13 to 14 million, 14 and a half, I mean, that's something that you got to kind of expect at this point. That's what he's worth. He's got, got that Devontae Adams price tagger starting point. I mean, 14 and a half, uh, that might be where I end if, for, as far as the trade or, or what might happen with him. I mean, if you're going to trade Jarvis Landry to move up in the draft, like some speculate, I mean, in my opinion, that might be best case scenario. I don't know you're, that you're going to get better than a second round pick. And if you're telling me you're going to get Jarvis Landry and the number 11 pick and move up to, say, four or five and get a guy like you said, Baker Mayfield or Josh Rosen or one of those guys, uh, I, I guess as much as I love Jarvis Landry, I'd be okay with that. And I'd, I'd hate to see him go, but if you're telling me you're going to be able to trade Jarvis Landry and move up to get a guy that we both covet as far as Baker Mayfield, at the end of the day, I'll be happy and root for Jarvis Landry wherever he ends up. So, and how about you? How do you think this is all going to shake out? What are your thoughts on it? Well, and it gets tricky, too, because he hasn't signed his tender yet. So we don't know, you know, he still has some leverage in the sense he could control which teams he would be open to being traded to. So it just adds a whole nother layer of complexity to the situation. Uh, Another layer to consider is if uh, another team does go after him and we go the compensatory route, it would be a late third-round draft pick. So if they're offered a regular, quote-unquote, regular third-round draft pick, because keep in mind compensatory picks can be traded now, it's still possibly looking at 15 to 20 picks earlier depending on the team. So it's not out of the question that we would accept a third-round trade value in return for Jarvis Landry. It's really hard to determine what his – uh, market is because teams would look at the slot receiver in much different terms, depending on the scheme that they're trying to run. We'll see how this shakes out with Landry. A lot of people are not optimistic. There are many people lining up. So for me, what's confusing is you see all these players coming out from different teams wanting Jarvis on their team. You see teams lining up to get in line to see what it would cost to get him. And then you see the Dolphins wanting to trade him away. Who do you trust? For me, I don't know, because we've also seen two coaches in Miami, Joe Philbin and Adam Gase, use Jarvis Landry the same exact way. As an intermediate route runner, hope, hope to move the chains, but not a guy who's a deep threat. So it's Joe Philbin and Adam Gase, do they know something that other teams don't? Or are the Dolphins just going down the rabbit hole? They've gone in with many other players in terms of not being able to evaluate their own talent and letting them walk. We'll see. Time will tell when Jarvis is on a different team and he's either thriving or cut after two, three years when his guaranteed money runs out. All right, Sutton, you said we have three questions from the mailbag. So we're just going to do that. Instead of wrapping up the show with Landry, we're going to wrap up the show with the mailbag. Sutton, what do we have? I'm going to throw this question out. So this is from Andy Phils on thefinsider.com. Omar Omar Kelly once made a big deal out of how Gase likes players who are alpha males, unlike Queasy Joe. Do you think his observation is accurate given the trading of Ajayi and now the probable trading of Landry? That's a good question, but I I do think that's the kind of player that Adam Gase uh, would prefer to have on his football team. 
I know him and Ajay, they butted heads. I think a lot of that might have had to do with that impending contract that Ajay was looking for. And I think you heard it this week at the Combine. Adam Gase praised Jarvis Landry, called him elite. That's the kind of player that Adam Gase wants on his football team. So I, I do think he looks for those alpha males. Uh, it's just hard because, I mean, you got two guys, three guys button heads. Something bad's going to happen. Then you got a guy who wants to be paid like one of the top running backs in the league like you would imagine Jai wanted to. It, it was hard for Miami to keep him. But whether or not he he's the reason that Landry could possibly leave, I don't think that's the case at all. And I think if, if he were the one calling the shots, which I do think he has some say, I think Jarvis Landry would stay in Miami. All right, what else do we got? Right, I have a, uh, we got a question from Alpha. I'll take this one. This is a quick one, and then I'll throw the next question to you, MC Money. So Alpha right. asks, there's a high probability that we move down. Who do you see as possible trade partners? Uh, I think it's really early in the game to determine that, but what I will say is if we do move down, which I hope that we do do, I'm in the trade down group most definitely. If we're able to do that, I just don't want to move down too far. And I'm reflecting back to the year that we traded down for Jared Odrick. We went from, I believe, 12 to 28, and we bypassed several good players along the way. So I don't want to trade down too far if we can. If we can trade somewhere in the mid-teens, that would be ideal. Uh, And then the last question is from VanX, V-A-A-N-X, and he asks, with continued problems at guard and possibly spending tons of money on Norwell, What's the deal with Aziata? Wasn't he supposedly a steal at round five and expected to contribute last season? It's a little frustrating with Asiata because he couldn't, even with all the injuries on the offensive line and the underperforming on the offensive line, he did not get a chance to start any games. But then again, the Dolphins repetitively said throughout the entire season that they want this year to be a redshirt year for Asiata. They were dead set on that. Clyde Christensen said it many times during his weekly press conferences. Adam Gase said it quite a few times. So was it a matter of the Dolphins just really sticking to their guns and making sure that it was a redshirt year for Asiata all the way through? Or is there something more to it? Rumors were flying that he needed to build some strength in his upper body and refine his technique. One thing for sure is he'll probably get his chance in training camp to get a crack at the starting job. And if he doesn't get it, or if he doesn't show enough where he can be a sixth guy on that offensive line, I would say he's probably cut. He was a violent player in college. There's no reason to think that he can't translate that to the NFL. It's just something's holding him back, whether it's technique or his upper body strength. Dolphins bringing in, again, a new offensive line coach, Jeremiah Washburn, who is not so new because he was with Adam Gase his first year in Miami but he's never coached Asiata. So we'll see, you know, with the revolving door at offensive line last year with Chris Forrester getting um, fired or resigning. And then they brought in the uh, Dave DeGilmo for a little bit halfway through the season. So we'll see once he gets some consistency, probably has to learn some new techniques, but we'll see how that shakes out this year. All right. Any last thoughts, Sutton and Houts, before we head off the air for this week? Nope, I'm good. Now with the... Yeah, with the combine around the corner, we'll be able to, you know, be able to sink our fangs into some actual, some actual data here. It's going to be good. Yep, we got it coming up. We will have next week on Finsider Radio a full free agency preview. Again, the NFL new league year opens up March 14th. That is a Wednesday at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our podcast next week will be the last one before free agency hits. 
We will have a full free agency preview for you, what the Dolphins might do. Hopefully we'll get some more information on Jarvis Landry, and I guarantee we'll get a lot more smoke around the quarterback position. For Sutton, the fortune teller and house MD, I am MC Bunny. Thank you all. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.